Would you have a seat? Before we jump into the message, I wanted just to give a quick announcement of uh, just a, uh, a change that we're going to see at the church in two weeks. Not next week, but the week after. Um, one of the greatest things that I see happening at our church are as people continue to wrestle with COVID, uh, wrestling with should they come back to church or not, is it safe or not, people are coming back. That's a great thing. What's not great is services like this, where you can look around and see there's not a ton of empty seats. And so we needed to think of a way at all three of our campuses to try to get people, maybe if they can, and if they're willing, and if God is leading them, of course, to go to a different time. And in order to do that, we wanted to change times completely to make that easier. So what you're going to see on the screen is our new proposed times. It's going to be in two weeks, Saturday night at 5, still in Sandusky. So if you're ever in town, come on out and check us out. But we're going to start um, Sunday morning at 9, 10, 15. So this service will be 15 minutes later, of course. And then the 1130 doesn't change. Uh, for the 9 o'clock people, I know for me, uh, I have four kids, and it's really hard to get to church. And especially just with everything else going on in life, my family's tired all the time. Even if we get a lot of sleep, I think just mentally we're tired. And to try to say, hey, here's an extra half hour of sleep and an extra half hour of getting here, come at 9. And if anybody here uh, wants to say, hey, we can go to 9 o'clock, it would be awesome. And that would help balance our chapel kids' uh, ministries out. It would also help free up some seats as families every week are coming back to the church. And we're really excited about that, but we're running out of room. And we want to do it safely. And so in two weeks, again, it'll be... 9, 10, 15, 11, 30. That will not be the times forever, but it is at least right now during our COVID times, and we'll make adjustments as we see fit. We appreciate your patience with us as we do that, all right? But I'm going to kick off today's message, and I want to do it in just in three words. Leadership equals influence. Now, if you think of leadership, and when I think of leadership, I often think of it's by position or title. I'm a leader if I am the head of an organization. I'm a leader if I am a coach of a team. Or I'm a leader if I have this certain position or this title, and that's not true. Those people are leaders, but so are you. Leadership is not a position or a title. It's influence. And guess what? All of you have influence. If you're a part of a family, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt and an uncle, maybe you're a special friend to a family, you have influence. If you're a principal or a teacher or a student or a janitor, guess what? You have influence in a school. If you're in a company and you're the CEO or you're on the assembly line, doesn't matter, you have influence. If you live in a community or you're on a team or wherever you find yourself at, guess what? You're a leader because you're an influencer. And because you're an influencer, you're a leader. And what we want to do today is we want to uh, hone in on a person named Deborah who has incredible leadership skills, and we want to learn how we can sharpen our leadership skills from her. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Judges 4 and 5. We'll be predominantly in Judges 4 today. And actually next week, we'll be in Judges chapter 6, looking at a guy named Gideon. But before we get to him, we're going to look at an incredible leader named Deborah. Now let me give you some context of what's happening with our friends, the Israelites and Judges. The Israelites are kind of like Americans. We don't like people telling us what to do. <laughs> we like to call or, or to pick the rules and choose what we want to do or don't want to do based on what we prefer. And the Israelites got to a point where like, look, that's how we want to live our life. And so they said, hey God, 
We like that you created us, but we don't like that there's people over us telling us what to do. We don't want kings anymore. We don't want leaders anymore. We want to be the leaders. Thank you very much. Go back and do your thing, and we're going to do our thing. And that worked for a while. Until every time something would happen in the Israelites, they would be in chaos. They would find themselves in a mess. And what would they do in that mess? What you and I do when we're in a mess. Like, God, where are you? (laughs) Come back. I need you. Isn't that kind of how we live our lives with God? Let's be honest. Most of the time, we're glad God created us. We don't want him to lead us. But when we do need him to lead us, we're like, God, where have you been? (laughs) And the Israelites say, God, we need you. And this cycle would go on and on and on and on. But God is a gracious God. No matter how many times we stiff arm him, he is still readily available and wants to have a relation with us. So when the Israelites said, God, we need you, he said, fine, I will help you get out of this mess and I will send a leader or a judge to help you do that. There were 12 judges we see in the book of Judges, only one female and her name is Deborah. And we're going to see in Judges 4 a historical account of the events that happened during Deborah's leadership. And then in chapter 5, which we're not going to be able to get to entirely, but we'll get to it in a way. You'll see in a moment. She actually sings a song or writes a poem about her experience as a leader. So we're going to go through uh, her story in a few moments. And so I invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Judges chapter 4. It's in the Old Testament. There are many Hebrew names that I'm going to mess up as we go along. So you can snicker to yourselves if you want or laugh out loud. Up to you. But we're going to look at this incredible woman and how amazing of a leader she is. So here's what happens. Judges chapter 4. Verses 1 through 3. After Ehud's death, he was a previous judge. The Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. Again, we'll see this theme all throughout Judges. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And therefore, God said, you're not listening to me. And thus, they were doing evil in the sight of God's eyes. So the Lord turned them over because of their evil to King Jabin of Hazar, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hagarish Haggium. Sisera, who had 900 chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. There it is again. They did what was right in their own eyes. They got into a mess, and they said, God, we need your help. Now, the reason they are freaking out is because they are going up against the Canaanite army, who are really well trained, but they also had 900 chariots. A chariot, in today's terms, would be like a modern-day tank. And they had 900 of them. Each chariot had razor-sharp spikes protruding from their axles. And so when they went down, they would mow over foot soldiers that got in its way. Well, the Israelites, they didn't have anything else to fight. They didn't have uh, those kinds of chariots to go back at them. They were on foot. And so they knew when they had to go up against this Canaanite army, they were going to get blasted by it, and they were all going to die. So they get scared, and they said, God, we need your help. And God says, okay, I'm going to appoint a leader. And the leader is Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth. She was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. Deborah was a prophet. She had no military experience. 
She was selected by God because she was wise and a really good leader. And being wise as a leader means you realize what gifts and abilities that you have, and you're okay with admitting the gifts and abilities that you don't have. And for Deborah, she said, look, I can help lead the team, but I can't go into battle. I need somebody to do that. So she taps on Barak. Barak's going to be the commander in charge of this battle. And here's what she says to Barak. She says, look, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands of you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and of Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. So we read that and we're like, oh, great. It's going to be fine. God is going to give victory to the Israelites. But Barak, who was called to lead this army, is not calm when she says this to him. Because remember, Barak has some some army tactics in his background. And he's thinking, you're telling me that I have to go up against 900 tanks with only 10,000 people on foot? They're going to kill us. He was freaking out. But he knew, well, at least she knew, (laughs) that God was going to do something amazing. So Barak told her, okay, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. Amen to that. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Now that line at the hands of a woman will not be Deborah. She will help lead that, but there'll be another woman that comes on the scene in a little while. Now you would think if you're reading a story logically, we're going to see what happens in this fight between the Canaanites and the Israelites. But the author of Judges puts in some seemingly, inf- like seemingly um, irrelevant information right in the middle of the story. And does so to get our attention. Here's what it says. Now, Heber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zananim near Kadesh. Anytime you're reading a story and all of a sudden the author switches to something else, you know that you're going to hold on to that information for later. It's relevant, maybe not in that moment, but it will become relevant very soon. And it's going to become relevant in the next few moments. But now we'll go back to the story to see how do the Israelites win this seemingly impossible battle. So here's what happens. Then Deborah said to Barak, okay, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera. Or Sisera, excuse me, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. I love this verse just for a moment. Pause with me and think about something impossible that you're going through right now. The Lord promises to be ahead of you, fighting for you, even when you can't see him. That's what it means to trust him. And all Deborah's saying is, look, you need to trust God right now. He is marching ahead of you. You don't see him, but you need to still walk and trust, knowing he's going to defeat this army for you. Because look what happens. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. 
Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Yes, Sisera was a sissy. Okay, thank you, the three of you that laughed. Man, I'll not do that for 1130. But, so look what happens. God goes ahead of them into a seemingly impossible situation and disrupts the Canaanite army so they can't drive their tanks into the Israelites and defeat them. It doesn't say it in chapter 4, but if you read ahead in chapter 5, Deborah sings about it in that the Lord allowed a heavy rain to come on and it created this dirt into mud and therefore these chariots get stuck in the mud and they can't go forward. Well, Sisera, again, who is scared, doesn't stay for the battle, runs to a certain area where we pick up where we were looking at before. Because look what happens. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, oh, come into my tent. And there it is, sir. Come in, but don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Isn't that sweet? Please give me some water. He said, I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. A leather bag was the equivalent of a microwave in this time. It kept the milk warm. Now let me ask you a question. He asked for water. She gave him warm milk. Why? Those who have kids do the same thing because they want them to go to sleep. <laughs> warm milk can make you drowsy. And so she wanted to make sure to give him warm milk to make him sleepy. Why? Why does she want him to go to sleep? Remember we four, Deborah said, the, hand, the victory is not going to belong to you, Barak. It's going to belong to a woman. Look what happens. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. This is not going to end well. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground, and so he died. I'm just reading you what it says. <laughs> a brutal ending to more of a brutal person. That's how they did combat back then. <laughs> Sometimes you try to fight man to man. Other times you take milk and you go to sleep and you drive a peg through their forehead. Either way, that was a really brutal man and God took care of him through her. Now you look at that story and it may not seem like you can learn leadership principles from it, but let me tell you, Deborah shows what a true influencer and a true leader looks like. Not just on the combat field, but in our everyday lives. And I want to give us three leadership principles from Deborah's story that will help us lead in our everyday lives. Here's the first one. I love this. Be available to God and to others. Be available. Just say, God, I will go where you want me to go no matter what. And that's exactly what Deborah does. You see, Deborah was a woman, and she was the only woman, a woman to, be, to be a judge back then. And you may say, well, good. She, they should have had more women, and I agree. But in that culture, women didn't lead. It was a male-driven society where men were the leaders, women were not. And so when God said, Deborah, I want you to be the leader, that would have been very uneasy for Deborah. It had made her scared. It had made her maybe insecure, thinking, what are these guys going to think of me? And equally, 
Like I told you before, Deborah was not a warrior. She had no military background. She was just a wise judge. And so how is she going to go into this battle as a woman with no experience in the military? Well, she just told God, God, I will do what you want me to do. And I'll go where you want me to go, even though it's going to make me feel really uncomfortable, even though I feel ill-equipped, even though I feel like if you don't come through, I'm going to fail. I'm still going to do this. When's the last time that you and I had that same mindset? There's so many times when God has asked me to do something in my life, and my first response is no. Why? Because I'm insecure. I feel ill-equipped. I can't do this. I remember when the elders named Todd and I co-lead pastors. I thought, what are you doing? Todd should be that. I should just be his secretary. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I was so scared, so nervous. Still am, four or five years later. But I just said, God, I'm available, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. There's some of you in this room that are not taking risks or not doing what God's asking you to do because you're scared. But let me tell you, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, like Deborah did, she was in that place for a reason, and so are you. You've been giving your kids and grandkids for a reason. You're at your workplace for a reason. You're a coach of that team for a reason. You're an administrator at that school for a reason. There's sometimes you wake up and you're like, God, I can't do this. If you say that, you're in the right position because that means God can through you. But you got to be available to him. No matter what's holding you back, you say, God, even though this seems impossible for me and it's possible for others, I'm going to trust you. And likewise, for Deborah, not only was she available, she was determined to honor God. I heard this quote recently, and I think it's just a great quote. It is better to walk alone than to walk with a crowd in the wrong direction. Or we teach our kids. You don't have to be like everybody else. Be you. My eight-year-old son, Hudson, he just loves sports. And there's a few kids in his class that he just wants to be like them because they're really good at sports. And I always tell him, Hudson, one, you're good at sports too. But more than that, God made them them. God made you you. And right now he's eight years old, but he's going to be 18 soon. And I want him to know that no matter what other people are doing, you are your own person, and you have the right and responsibility to follow God even though other people aren't. And in our culture, that's a hard thing to do, to truly trust Jesus when everybody else is going the opposite way, but you wouldn't be alone because that's exactly what Deborah did in the midst of a group of Israelites who wanted nothing to do with God. They wanted nothing to do with listening to him or listening to his word. They wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. But not Deborah. She was determined to honor God. Even though she was scared, she felt ill-equipped, she would not let her integrity be swayed by other people. I mean, imagine being Deborah, and God tells you, hey, you're going to go defeat one of the most equipped armies that, I, that has ever been put together, and you're going to do that in an impossible way. People would have laughed. People would have thought that's impossible. But Deborah said, you know what? God has spoken to me. Either what he says is true or not. And she believed it was true, and she wanted to follow that. You see, God is speaking to us today. Is it true or isn't it? If it is, 
then we're called to put his words and his wisdom and his principles into place in our everyday life. And it's going to look different than your other family. It's going to look different than your friends, your coworkers, your community. But you know what? It doesn't matter. God's calling you to honor him. So in your marriage, practice forgiveness. A lot of your friends hold bitterness to one another. You don't get to do that. You don't have to do that. Forgive like God forgives us. In the workplace, where a lot of people are trying to take shortcuts and look for the easy way out, practice integrity and hard work. And in our community, when everyone else is trying to just be fractured and, and do a lot of things that are harming people, learn what it means to practice empathy and listen so we can be a part of the change that God wants to see happen. It's going to take guts. It's going to take you being all in. Not just on God's, not just being available to God's calling, but actually living it out in your everyday life. And when you and I do that, then our lives can look like this amazing Deborah. You know what else she did that I love? She doesn't take credit for anything. And if you want to be like Deborah and lead the way God wants you to lead in everyday life, be the one who gives ultimate credit to God. Deborah didn't read these words from Paul, but they were in her heart. Paul says this, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Your gifts and your abilities are incredible, and they're geared towards you. And you're called to do something with them, but you and I are not called to brag about it or take credit because you know where the credit is due? to the God who's gifted us in the ways that we can lead today. And so often, especially in our culture, we want to take credit for everything. It's a me, me, me culture. And Deborah said, no, it's a God, God, God scenario. She gave ultimate credit to God in the end. Which led to Judges chapter 5. Which led to a song that thanked God for defeating the enemy. And you know what? We have an enemy as well. It's not other people who we think that it is sometimes. The way we fight in this culture, we think it's everybody else. No, no, no. The enemy is evil. The enemy is sin. The enemy is death. And our God, through Christ, came down to defeat it. And he did so on the cross and through the resurrection. And you know what's amazing? Someday God says he's going to make this world right again. Well, I don't know when that's going to be. It could be tomorrow. It could be in 3,000 years from now. But our responsibility between God leaving and God coming back is to live like Deborah. To be available to God for whatever he's asking you to do. And to do it with integrity and to honor him. And in the end, we sing a song to God saying, the credit is due to you because you are worth it. And that's the way we want to end our service. With a song about God's grace, his amazing grace. We want to sing that together. So would you stand and let's lift our voices to God who deserves the ultimate credit. <laughs>